It's December 1st, 2008, and this is The Candid Frame. Welcome to another episode of The Candid Frame. Today's guest is Paul Jaguer. Paul Jaguer is a photographer as well as a fellow podcaster who hosts his own show, Thoughts on Photography. Um, Me and Paul have talked a couple of times over Skype and thought it might be a good idea to actually record our conversations and share them with you. Um, Today's episode is going to be my interview with Paul, but Paul also interviewed me for his show, and that should also be up uh, sometime this week. Um... It's it was an interesting thing to talk to someone uh, about, about my work because I'm not usually on that end of the microphone, but I really enjoyed it. But um, for that, you're going to have to wait until you visit his site. For now, sit back and enjoy my conversation with Paul Jaguer. Paul, welcome to the Candid Frame. Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, so we're doing this sort of cross-promotional thing, I guess you would call it. So you just finished interviewing me for your show, and now I'm going to interview you about you and put you on the spot. <laughs> but we were talking uh, earlier about how you got started, and I guess you got started taking pictures when you were in like, high school or college for your newspaper? Is that yeah. how it for you? Yeah, you know, I, I started when I was probably, I think I was eight or nine years old. Uh, I was given a... Kodak Instamatic camera, you remember those? The yeah, 110. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just really into it and um I just wanted a camera and I just wanted to make photographs and I think as a kid I, I was really influenced by you know Spider-Man, Peter Parker, you know that kind of stuff, mm. you know. I was, you know, he was a photographer and it's like, you know, I was just motivated by some of the things that I had seen um in terms of how photographers were represented and I really wanted a camera when I was a kid. And I got it, and I started taking the usual snapshots at family gatherings and things like that. And and over time, I I, I would hit those accidental photos that just stood out. You know, not, they're not snapshots. They're like, wow, this is, you know, I actually took a great photo here, uh, or wow, this is like stunning, and I love it. And um, and it led me to get a little bit more serious about photography. But it wasn't really until I hit college that I had access to a dark room and I had access to as much film as I could could stuff into my pockets <laughs> that I started to um, get really serious about it and, and to start pursuing uh, photography in a bigger way. And so I, I started taking photographs for the uh, school newspaper and and that was uh, and I and, and frankly I, I signed on just so I could have the free film and the free dark room access. But when I first saw one of my one of my first photos was published on the front page, I, I became really jazzed by it, and it's like, wow, you know, I took that. That's mm-hmm. something I did, and and somebody at the newspaper thought it was good enough to be on the front page, and and looking back, it probably all wasn't, wasn't all that great anyway, <laughs> <laughs> because I wasn't really concerned about taking those photographs. I just wanted the access uh, in the film, and so I would just do photos that were on a, a punch list that the, that the paper had and, and then photographers would show up and basically sign off on the photos that they had on the punch list so that was your job you go out and take these photos and bring them back and and then you can keep getting free film 
and uh, and so that's that's what got me really motivated. The the crash came after college when I no longer had access to uh, film in darkroom, <laughs> mm. and I didn't have the money to go out and buy a lot of it. Um, that it it started to uh, affect my photography, and and for a while I put the camera down um, and didn't do a whole lot of photography because of the costs. And then digital came, and that changed everything for me. How many years was it between putting the camera down and picking it back up? Probably, uh, let's see, I put the camera down probably in 88, 89, and I didn't pick it up again until 97, 98. Wow. Yeah. So there was a big gap there. And and, and then in the digital technology at the time, wasn't completely mature you know it wasn't a, it was nowhere near as good as film could do but for the kind of but for the kind of photography that I was involved in it was good enough and uh and so I you know I, I just started getting back into it and um I was also back at, at graduate school and I took a course in visual uh literacy uh, media literacy and they had us go out with digital cameras and I also got exposure to you know, nice cameras that could mm-hmm. do really nice work. Um, and, and that kind of just like re-engaged me. And, and then I became kind of like hell on wheels uh, for about eight years, just doing a lot of fine artwork and personal work. Well, tell me about how you found what you were responding to in terms of photography. Because you talk about when your newspaper is shooting one, one particular thing, but when you start doing, you know, fine art and, you know, I look at you. Look at your work on on, on the site, and there's some really interesting images that um, stuff that you did on the subway, the nudes, the abstracts. But how did you finally come to that? Because I think one of the things that's interesting about your photographs is that you're photographing things that, um, particularly the stuff with the subway series, you know, in a way that's very different from what people would think of in terms of digital photography. Mm-hmm. So how did you sort of find out what that was for you? I, I think, uh, you know, the, the the work that's on my website is, um, it's very personal work in, in a big way. It's it's an exploration of my own mood and my own internal thinking and feelings. Um, when I started, when I came up with the whole idea of doing the Subway series, I wasn't sure how I was going to approach it. Um, for, for me, the Subway at that time was kind of a foreign place. Uh, I didn't use the subway much at all. And so I found it to be a perfect place for me to photograph because I'm coming at it from a newbie standpoint, someone who doesn't use the subway at all, uh, rather than someone who rides the subway day in and day out, which which I currently do now. So it, it, it's lost a lot of its mystery and in, 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 in luster, so to speak. But um, but it was really a personal exploration. It was really uh, when when I finally decided how I was going to photograph in the subway, and in the kind of mood I wanted to evoke, I realized it's really coming from inside of me. And so, I think for me, photography has always been a way to express what I'm feeling and wh- where I'm at at any one time. And I think at the time I, I did the subway series, I was. Uh, kind of in a darker place just just in terms of mood and feeling and, and, and kind of where where my thinking was at and also um, you know I, I, I think also 
I wasn't interested in Jane or John down in the subway. I wasn't interested in capturing individual people, but capturing kind of um, representations or, or symbols of, mm-hmm. of people in the subway. And so that that's why they're all, you know, diffused focus and kind of just blurred a bit and some of them blurred quite a bit. I found when I was shooting that way, um, I was also seeing things that no one else probably sees down there. You know, the the anonymity of being in the subway combined with some of the the way the light sometimes creeps into the subway, the way people are um, moving about in the subway system. And I, I just found I found darkness, but I also found beauty there too. Yeah, the the, the whole idea of anonymity and sort of the um, literally the transitory sense mm-hmm. of of people and space and time is something that I find really kind of interesting about those photographs. Um, I caught the subway myself here in L.A., or were passes for one here. And um, and that whole sense of there's a sort of a disconnectedness that happens in mm-hmm. in in those spaces that is unlike any anything else you'll experience, even even the sort of the public street, because people are in such proximity to each other, but the distance between them could be literally miles. Yeah, you know. Well, that. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, and I think you kind of evoke that in your image in in a usual in the unusual way that you chose to photograph it. Yeah, uh, it it really is how, where I was at. Um, you know, maybe I was maybe I was feeling a little bit anonymous as well, and and it was a way of being able to get it out of my system or to reflect it somehow uh, it, through my photography. You know, it's, it, what's funny now is that uh, I, I work in downtown Boston, so I, I take the subway every single day, day in, day out, and my experience is very different than it was back then when I did the, that series uh, of photographs. I think, you know, um, if I were to go back into the subway again to photograph, it would it would be to photograph the individual, the the, the people, the 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 visual uh, ephemera, if you will, of what's going on in the subway, because I think. Now that I now that I'm kind of a, a jaded subway rider, mm-hmm. you know, it, it it's um when I decide to open my eyes and and and, ex, and experience what goes on in the subway and who who rides the subway, I, I I find that as exciting and engaging as anything. And so someday, uh, you know, I'll probably go back into the subway specifically to make those photographs or or just you know use the camera that I carry with me every day and start making them. Um, and and it'll be again a personal thing it'll be trying to find the individual in the subway as opposed to the lack of individual and you know and that's what makes it more personal the thing that i find interesting is that every i i I ride the subway with probably about 10 people that i recognize every single morning Mm -hmm. and we don't even know each other and we never talk to each other you know people kind of keep to themselves and uh, I, I always thought it would be a great photographic project to just walk up to them and say, you know, you know me, but you don't. <laughs> we yeah. see each other every day. We make eye contact every day. We might even smile at each other. But I'm wondering if I can take your photograph. And I'm sure I, I'm sure they would let me. And, you know, and that's a that's a kind of different anonymous life project, I guess. That would be that would be really fascinating because I think everyone has 
had that experience of seeing faces over and over and over again, but never really knowing them and being kind of curious as to what their story is. Yeah. You know, or even making up stories, you know, in your head of who you, who you think those people are. Yeah, um, and, and I don't even want to know their story. I think it's fun to make it up. You know, it's, you know, it, and I think that's part of it. It's like, you know, take a picture of Susan and that's, a, that's all you're going to know about her is her first name. Yeah. You can make up, you can make up the story. You, you try to make, put the pieces together. Um, you know, I, I think that's, for me as a photographer, I think that's a fun process. Yeah. What's, what's fascinating is that the subway has always been, um, um, a subject for many photographers. I mean, you have Walker Evans and Bruce Davidson, two photographers immediately come to mind, who each have made real distinctive photographs of life in the subway for their times. Walker mm-hmm. Evans during the mid mid uh, of the 20th century, um, Bruce Davidson, I think, primarily in in the 80s. And it's very interesting how that particular space really kind of resonates for for photographers. In, yeah. In in a way, why do you think it is that so many photographers have chosen the subway to be the sort of space that they explore with a camera? I, I think it's uh, I think it's unnatural for us to be underground. I think we're not, you know, subterranean creatures by by nature. And I think so. There's something unnatural about traveling on on a subway because you are for the most part underground. I know some subways are above ground, but um. But I think being underground is 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 an, if a weird experience to begin with. I think also being with so many people at one time and not knowing them and not having any personal relationship to them is just fascinating um, from a from a social standpoint. You know, for for me, you know, to be in a packed subway car, you know, where people are piling in, it's starting to look like a circus car or something, and. And not know anyone and actually be that close to them to be, you know, almost, you know, you're sitting next to someone and you're, you're literally, you're physically connected to them. Your, 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 your bodies are connected, um, in a non-sexual way. And it's, it's, it's probably more intimate than most people ever get, um, with a stranger because you, you're, you're literally stuck to each other, Mm. (laughs) you know, in a crowded subway car. And, and, you know, and, and unless there's something untoward going on, uh, you, you both kind of ignore it and you just kind of put it aside and, you know, you read your book or you listen to your iPod or something and you, you, you basically just put up with the fact that, you know, I'm kind of squished into the seat next to two other people on either side and, you know, I'm anonymous and so are they and we just kind of tolerate our lack of physical space. I mean, physical space is also something I find very interesting. You know, you know where your boundaries are when somebody invades it, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you feel uncomfortable right away. But on the subway, you, your, your physical, your bubble that you keep around you in terms of your physical space uh, is it's gone. There's, you don't have it when you're on the subway. It has to go away. And, um, and then you come in and you introduce a camera to the mix. Yeah, and that freaks everybody out. Um, you know, and, and in doing the subway series, I mean, from a from a, a logistical standpoint, that was, it was it was sometimes difficult because, 
you know, most uh, subway systems don't want you photographing in the subway. Some of them try to prevent you by making you get permits. Boston requires you get a permit, which is good for 30 days, and you have to undergo a, a background check. Mm. So, you know, I think that they try to put barriers in place. Um, ironically, in Washington, I, I photographed in several subways, and in Washington, D.C., you don't need a permit or anything, um, which I found to be interesting. Uh, New York, you don't either. Uh, and I think, you know, it, it's, it's uh, for, for, you know, I won't get into that whole aspect of, you know, the fear of photographers and that sort of thing in, in a post-9-11 world. But I think uh, even even before 9-11, I think, you know, as soon as you, as soon as someone pulls out a camera on a crowded subway, people are like, "Oh God!" <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, I can sit next to someone and be connected to them physically, touching them, you know, thigh to thigh, so to speak, butt to butt. But uh, and, and I and I can live with that, and 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 have my space invaded that way for yeah. a short period of time. But when someone pulls out a camera, it invades your space in a way that nothing else does uh, when you're in that situation. And so, um, <laughs> that's a great point. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, it's, it, it was, it was a very fascinating project. I think it, um, you know, it, it, it allowed me to explore things that in a way that I never had before. And I think, you know, it's, it's pro I have, I have like a little statement on the whole project and I, I, I still keep thinking about it, you know, particularly now that I'm actually, um, you know, down in the subway every day mm -hmm. uh, for work. So. Yeah, I, I did a whole series myself for about six or seven months, catching the subway and catching the bus. And I thought, um, as well as, you know, your sensitivity to people's own comfort levels, I mm -hmm. think it's as much uh, of an exploration of your own, you know, yeah, about, you know, making the choice to be there present with a camera, raising it to your eye, you know, particularly the choice to raise it to your eye rather than just shooting at sort of waist level, you know, and right. trying to do it sort of surreptitiously. You know, but making the conscious choice of not hiding the fact that you're making making photographs in a very sort of sort of intimate space. Um, yeah, and and I find actually uh, it's more honest to raise it up to your eye. You know, if it's if that's the type of camera you're using, um, and and pe let people know you're taking a photograph. I, I think uh, sneaking photographs, which uh, you know, I, I didn't actually see the, the work of Bruce Davidson and Walker Evans, the subway work, until after I had been well into this project. Uh, so I wasn't influenced by it, really. And, um, and you know, so a lot of those photographs were taken surreptitiously. You know, they were cameras hidden in jackets and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, with Walker Evans, that was the case. Yeah, and, and I just found that not dishonest. I just, you know, he... They, they worked in how they needed to work. Um, but I, I find that there's something more compelling of an image when that person's looking back at you or they look away when you put the camera, you pull the camera up. And that, that's still a picture worth taking to me. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, 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 I just find that a little bit more interesting to look at um, when I do see other work, other photographs that have been taken in subways. I think it's kind of interesting because it's a sort of market contrast to the other stuff that you have in your site where you're photographing nudes or you have some images of children there. And that's, to some extent, these are all pictures about intimacy or the lack of intimacy. But mm -hmm. that Subway series is sort of a market contrast to sort of the stuff that you were doing with your nudes, some of which were shot in sort of a similar way in which you're exposing yeah. 
in, in exploring tonality, you know, dark shadows mm -hmm. and highlight and doing it in sort of a soft, sort of diffused way. What what sort of links, how do you see the link between those two bodies of work? Because they're shot in almost a similar fashion. I originally started doing the figure studies, um, and, and you can probably figure out the chronology of it because the ones that are in focus, <laughs> so to speak, came first. Uh, I, I was studying a light and shadow and, and, and basically really trying to self-teach myself uh, how, to, how to really understand light and how to understand its interplay with, with contrast and shadows and textures and things like that. And, uh, and I, I decided that uh, it, it's, it, I wanted to do it with a real person and I also wanted to uh, do it in a studio environment. So I, I actually rented space and would set up a studio for each shoot that I would do. And, and I learned a lot. I also needed someone who I could move. If you do a still life, you can move a still life. But I think a live model, um, it gives you uh, insight, I think, into the photo that you don't get when you're photographing a vase of flowers or something like that. Mm -hmm. and, um, and also it's a collaboration between me and the model. And so, you know, the best models that I worked with were ones that, and actually I worked with continuously, were ones who understood what I was trying to do and really excited about it and wanted to collaborate and be a part of it. And so they really worked with me to try and help me get there. Um, and some of them were very experienced as models. And so they, they, they knew what to do. Mm. And so it's a, it was a, a true collaboration many times. And, um, and then what I started doing is after I got those abstract nudes under my belt and I felt like I had a good sense of lighting and control of lighting and reflections and all of the, all of the technical things that I needed to understand, I started moving towards get, kind of getting rid of it all. <laughs> and really, uh, that's when I started you know, doing the diffused focused images and started leading into the anonymity again. Uh, as a theme that I think underlies a lot of my photography is this anonymous sense of self. And, um, and so I, I started sh shooting, not to get technical, but I, I was using a zone plate, um, which is kind of a pinhole uh, kind of apparatus uh, on my camera. And that would give me this diffused, out of focus glow to the image. And I found that that even more so allowed me to get down to those, you know, the highlights and the the tonalities that I was looking for in the image. And uh, and also the the sense of anonymity became even stronger. Um, you know, I, I didn't, obviously, if you look at the photos, I don't have anyone's face in the photos. You know, the, the head is never there. And, mm -hmm. um, and I know some people have problems with that kind of photography, but, you know, I wasn't shooting a photo of Sally, the model, I was, and making her recognizable, but rather I was exploring something else. And, and so when I started doing the, uh, the more diffused focused ones, the head is there many times and, uh, and you, or, or the entire body is present in the photo in the frame. And so in order to keep the anonymity there, the diffused focus helps me do that. And so you, they're, they're, they're recognizable as an entire person. Every, every anatomically, they're in the frame. Uh, nothing is left out, but um, but you don't recognize them anyway because they're anonymous. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
and working with different models, uh, dancers, things like that, uh, people like who who understood their body and how their body works in, in ways that I'll never be able to figure out my body works, uh, are able to, you know, move and, and, and basically engage with the camera, uh, in a way that's more natural. And so, um, it was a learning process and actually it, it did lead me to the subway series and it led me to how I approached the subway, um, in terms of what I learned in the studio working with these models. I think it's it's kind of interesting how they kind of influence themselves because there's they seems like they wouldn't be connected at all, you mm-hmm. know. Um, I think there's there's the the you know there's just I think what what connects them for me is just the the whole issue of sort of intimacy, you know, of vulnerability. I think there's a certain vul- obvious vulnerability when it comes to you know shooting a nude of someone. But, but there's also a certain sense of vulnerability that you have in terms of just being in proximity to each other in 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 uh, in a subway, even right. though you're 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 fully clothed. But mm-hmm. I think one of the, the most interesting points you make, though, about it is that in shooting news, that a good shooting situation is as much about collaboration as it is, you know, the photographer's choices in terms of lighting and in camera. Um, mm-hmm. T- tell me about that because I think when most people think about photographing nudes they get very uncomfortable you know uh, they they may want to do it but they feel very uncomfortable because they don't know in terms of posing a subject and they get preoccupied with that but yeah. I think you really speak to what's really needed in terms of being able to make a successful series of images yeah I, I think um, you know when I first started doing it it was uh, uncomfortable you know here here I am fully clothed and here's a person in front of me who isn't. And, and then it's my job to direct them and basically tell them how I want them to be, you know, in front of the drop, in front of the drop cloth or whatever I'm using for a backdrop. And, um, and it's, and it's hard. There, there, there's obviously a real power issue uh, in, in this kind of a relationship. And the photographer because the photographer has his or her clothes on, they are the ones who actually have the upper hand, I think, in the rela- in the power relationship mm-hmm. with the mob. And I think that, um, I think after my first shoot that I did um, with a with a, a, a nude model, that uh, none of the photos that are actually on the site are from that first shoot because I, I was still not learning the technical aspect so much as I was learning how to work with the model. And... Um, and so the photos weren't as satis- they weren't satisfying. They weren't really the point, I guess, of the of the shoot. It was to get comfortable with what I'm trying to do with the model. And I realized pretty quickly that um, if you're working with someone who is is an experienced model, they they are used to being told what to do, and they're used to being told where to go and and how to pose and that sort of thing. But the the really good ones that stand out for me were ones who who we're saying, you know, what about if I do this? And and then I would be like, yeah. And, you know, or I know what you're trying to do, but, you know, I've seen it done a million times <laughs> or I've had to pose this way a million times. You know, what about if we try something different? I'm like, okay, sure. Why don't we try something different? And, and it becomes a, it becomes a collaboration. And, you know, I got to a point where I would actually, uh, 
you know, I'm not a good drawer. I'm not good at drawing, but I would actually uh, draw different kinds of poses in kind of stick figure formats that I would bring into a shoot with the model. And we would sit down for probably about 20 minutes or half an hour and like go through my drawings and my thoughts about what it is I'm trying to do. And they would, they would key into it and say, I get it. This is great. You know, let's do it. And, and we would have like this, like, you know, incredibly productive photo shoot uh, session where we're really working together to achieve a vision that I had, uh, that I brought to the studio. And, um, and those come out in, I think, the photographs that actually made their way into the uh, different studies that I did that are on the website. Well, you, you've exhibited your work, and I want to talk to you about a bit about the whole idea of putting together a body of work, especially your initial initial, initial forays into being able to do that. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's probably one of the challenges, challenging things any photographer has to do is to you know, decide which images are going to be put into a portfolio and then going out there and, you know, showing it to people in the hopes of getting, you know, the work shown. What was that process like for you? Not just, not just in in terms of just the logistics of choosing pictures, but just in terms of getting yourself mentally and emotionally to a state where you felt like, I'm going to do this and this is how I'm going to do it. Yeah, I think for me, when I finally decided to go out and, and bring bring a body of work out, and initially I, I, I you know, the, the work isn't even on the website. My earliest work uh, was uh, landscapes and still life and things like that that um, that I really enjoyed doing, and I I I, I think they were good, uh, you know, my own opinion. But I also really I I just really felt like you know this work is me. It, it's what I do. It's, I, I just feel so great when I look at these photographs. I, I, I feel, I felt like I had done something really good. And basically I was self validating my own work. And I think when I got to that point where I could say, you know, I, you know, from a technical standpoint, from an aesthetic standpoint, I really like this work. I really like the work I did. Um, I want to hang it, you know, where I see it, where I can see it every day, and it'll, it'll remind me of where I was and what I was thinking when I made that photograph. I think when I got to that point, I realized maybe someone else will feel the same way about it, and and I think you have to take that leap at some point if you really if you do want to get your work uh, exhibited and basically decide, you know, I like my work, and I think I think it's good work, and it really says something about me and I'm ready to show it to someone else and see what they think. And uh, and then I started uh, schlepping it around to like coffee houses and places like that and got shows. And um, and, and it was it was validating in that sense uh, that I could get into shows like that or, you know, ha- be able to just sh- hang the work for a period of time somewhere that where people will see it. But it also... Um, it, it was it, it just can't it just kind of fed itself and it kind of gave me the motivation to continue along the lines of what I was doing and as I evolved in terms of the themes and, and things that interested me uh, I, I just found that it became kind of easier and easier to do it and, and to put the work out there and eventually to start submitting it for you know juried exhibitions and things like that um, 
you know, you also develop a, a thick skin after a while too. And you start to realize, you know, not everyone's going to like this work. Not everyone's going to appreciate it. Not everyone's going to think it's nice or, or it's good or it speaks to them. And you know what? That's okay. Um, I, I think that's, that's what the medium is for. That's, you know, if it, if it spoke to everyone, then I think there'd be something wrong. <laughs> but for me personally, I just felt that it was, um, it was a way to move forward, I think, with my work and to encourage myself to continue producing new work and, and to keep thinking differently about it. Ironically, I, I, I found that um, over the past year or two, getting the work out there and getting it exhibited uh, and put into shows is becoming less and less important to me personally. Um, in other words, the, the, I, I, I find I'm coming back to self-validation more and more. And I don't really need or want to seek necessarily uh, external evaluation of the work because I just don't feel I need it. Um, and so my, my personal work is becoming even more personal um, work that I'm doing only for myself and, and not for maybe some potential connection to another project that I want to do or something like that. So Yeah. yeah there's something that you know, a lot of people aspire to be professional photographers and make a living from photography you know and I think you know there's something to be said for the person who has a normal 9 to 5 job Mm -hmm. but that still relegates photography to an important aspect of their lives but not professionally right you know and I think you really speak to the idea is that it really allows you to focus on those things that you really are passionate about because yeah. When you, become a, when you become a professional photographer, you have to be considering how you're going to pay the rent, you know, uh, paying taxes, doing you know, doing a whole bunch of stuff that have nothing to do with being creative, which mm-hmm. ends up being relegated to maybe ten or fifteen percent of what you actually do in terms of spending most of your time. So I think there's something to be said for for being a passionate amateur, because much of the great work that's been made by some of the most famous photographers were people who weren't professionals. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm for my full, you know, for my career, my job, uh, it has nothing to do with photography. Um, so I, I find the photography to be kind of an outlet. It's a way for me to explore the creative aspects of what, of who I am. Uh, in many ways, I can't imagine not doing it. It there would be such a uh, a void, I guess, <laughs> in terms of, um, I don't know, just in terms of life in general for me. That I, I think it would uh, be a loss I couldn't really or wouldn't really want to deal with. But at the same time, I, I also find it to be um, something that I, I I I always look forward to doing. I think if I was a professional photographer who had to make a living and had to balance the books and had to pay the rent and had to pay maybe even staff if I had staff um, and make sure that they're taken care of, I mean, I I think the pressures of being a professional photographer would, I think, cloud why I liked photography in the first place, which was for the creative aspects of it and Mm -hmm. the ability to pursue the creativity well, you have a you have a podcast yourself, you know, thoughts on photography, mm-hmm. and how does 
why did the show come into being and how how has it served your own desire and passion for photography i i think uh a couple things come to mind i i think when i used to get together with other photographers um like at a show or a gallery opening or something like that uh, or at a workshop uh, inevitably people start talking about gear and and cameras and what kind of camera do you shoot with you know do you know which version of photoshop are you using that kind of thing uh, what printer do you use and I, I just found the discussions to be uh, repetitive boring and not really germane or irrelevant to photography <laughs> it was kind of mm-hmm. ironic and um and you know and and every so often i would hit upon someone who would say you know we, you know we might be at a a local photo show that's that would be opening and i i'd run into someone and they we'd start talking about a photo in front of us and then they would say you know no you know it reminds me so much of you know so and so's work have you ever seen that work and it's like yeah yeah you're right it does remind me and you, you start getting into a conversation you start talking about the aesthetic of what you're seeing you're starting to make some relationships between that and your your kind of um your memory of of, photo- of mm-hmm. other photographs that you've seen and and I, I found those conversations to be much more stimulating to have um, then at the same time I also realized that there are so many people who produce such wonderful work and they don't know how to they, they want to exhibit it I mean I, I think part of the cycle of photography particularly you know when people pursue it as an artistic uh, endeavor is that the cycle requires that you get it out there that other people see it I, I think it's um it's almost un it's almost like the cycle is not complete in terms of your photography unless there's someone else unless you unless you actually get it out there mm-hmm. because i think ultimately photography is a communicative a communicative kind of endeavor it's it's meant to communicate to others and if you if you're not communicating it communicating your photography to others you're not com- you're not closing the loop so to speak on your yeah. photography and you know, and 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 some people, I always hear this. You know, people say, "Well, I only make it for myself," and I'm like, "Well, that's great." Um, you know, but that's only you, you're not you're not it's not done yet. And I, I just you know, it's like the pie is baked, but no one's eating it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So what and, role does the show have? Well, I think the that? the show. Yeah, I think the show started off really trying to help um, photographers like myself who started off trying to figure out okay you know i've i've learned my craft i've learned my technique i've developed a technique uh, i've learned i've created great photographs now and i've got I, I think i have my own eye and and i think i'm ready to close the loop to get the work out there mm. but i don't know how to do it and my my whole approach had been to really just immerse myself in the whole field of the whole photo world, if if you will, and uh, and just kind of learn it by studying it and and, and looking at shows and, and getting involved with some of the photo organizations around the country, and and so I kind of learned it by just really forcing it and making it happen and just studying it, and I realized that for most people they can't or won't do that um, for whatever reason, and and that maybe this would be a way to kind of touch base with them and help them understand what what it means to exhibit work or what does it mean to explore your work creatively um and so 
basically it, it serves two audiences. It serves, I think, the photographer who is looking to close that loop by looking for ways to communicate their photography to others. And I think it uh, touches on photographers who are also who have who either already have or are constantly looking to integrate um, the creative aspects of what they do in their photography into their life in general. Yeah. And so the tagline for the for thoughts on photography is um, learning to live a creative life. You know, learning to lead a creative photographic life. And I, I think that's that's kind of the underpinnings of it. So uh, I'll throw you a loaded question. All right. How do you how do you um, lead that creative life and maintain a happy family life? Uh, well, it it's not always easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think uh, having a I have a a five year old son and um, and I'm married and you know we when 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 my son was born my my ability to pursue the creative aspects of my photography got uh, curtailed quite a bit just because I was so busy, both with work, but my, with, my, with my day job, and I was also teaching part-time. And, uh, and then I had a son, an infant, you know, and basically all of your personal stuff gets shoved to the side and you have to deal with um, your family and your life and, and you have to address it. And, and, I, and I think, uh, you know, the... the uh, podcast really grew a bit out of you know that experience in terms of trying to find my way to leading a creative life while also still making a living and you know and taking care of my family and and having a family life at the same time and so how I do it uh, now is I I'm constantly journaling you know I have a little notebook that I carry around with me any thoughts that come to me I, I will write them down um, about photo- photography, um, I might have a thought for, you know, a photograph, something that would make a great photograph. I just might have some just raw things that I would write down in my notebook. Mm-hmm. But also, uh, you know, I just recently got um, a new uh, compact camera, a point and shoot, if you will, that I just carry with me every day, back and forth to work. And you know, many times I don't, I don't take it out because I, I've got to get to work. You know, I don't have time to you know, take, take the camera out and make a photograph. But, um, but, you know, there are times when I will just go out for lunch and just walk around the city and kind of take photographs of what I see, what I see there and what I find interesting. And I I think, I think leading a a photographic life really means um, looking for ways to always think see, hear, smell, taste photographically um, as much as is possible uh, in, in our everyday life. So it's, you know, in, at home, it's, it's looking for those photographs that um, I can make while I'm also at the same time being a dad, you know, and it's uh, being at work, uh, it's making those photographs or, 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 or thinking photographically uh, in the context of my work and what I do on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, it's, it's, I, I think rather than pursue those, you know, grand creative projects, it's, um, it's taking a step back and pursuing those, like those little low hanging fruit things that you can do, uh, when you don't have the time and over time it gets easier. And, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, 
Albalero Morel. Are you familiar with him? No. Mm-mm. He's um, he's a he's a great photographer. He uh, he's most known for his camera obscura work, where he would actually create a, a you know block off all light entering a room, and then cut a hole and basically create a create a a pinhole camera uh, of a room. And so the image that anything that's outside would be projected upside down on the interior of the room. And then he would photograph it from within the room. Okay. And, yeah, I'm familiar with the work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, and in, in looking at his work there, there's a period where he stopped doing work like that. And he took lots of photographs of his child, his son. And, and it all became about the kids and it became about his playmates. And, and I realized that what had happened is that he basically hit a place in his life where he wasn't able to pursue the kinds of grand projects. And those were grand projects that he had done um, and still, and still be able to have a family life and that sort of thing. So he decided to shift gears and make his family become the grand project. And that's what he did. So he integrated his photography into his life in the way that he was able to at the time. Mm-hmm. And now his latest work is quite impressive and um and it's new and it's and it's different and it's invigorating and I think you know I think it came out of that you know four or five six years um of not having the time to do the big projects that he was used to doing I think yeah yeah I mean W. Gene Smith had that old period after he was coming from his injuries during World War Two mm-hmm. you know and uh, that first photograph that he made of his daughter and his son you know, yeah. uh, sort of a testament about how he turned his camera to what was immediately in front of him, which was completely different from the work that he had done before, but you know, served as as a transition into the work that he was going to do subsequently. Well, and also the photographer uh, Meatyard, um, who was an optometrist <laughs> by by profession, and photographed on the weekends, usually family and friends and that sort of thing. And um, you know, Ralph uh, Ralph Meatyard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, so here's a person who had a family, had a day job, uh, had a career and created an incredible body of work that, um, I'm not sure he, he lived long enough to, uh, you know, basically appreciate the accolades that he would receive later. But, um, but it didn't matter to him. He was creating work that was personal, but at the same time, it was great, wonderful yeah. work. And he, he lived a photographic life. And um, and there are many examples like that of, of photographers who just use photography as a way to express themselves in a, on a day-to-day basis, whether it's making photographs or thinking about photographs, um, looking at photographic books, um, monographs, and that sort of thing. I mean, it's there isn't a day that goes by I don't do something photographically. And I have to say that because I'm so busy, many times it's not actually making photographs. It's doing something else photographically. Yeah, you're right on the mark right there, man. That's that's an absolute must. Well, you know the last question I'm going to ask you. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so what photographer you would, would you recommend that our listeners explore and why? Uh, that's that's always – you know, I, I've, I've listened to all these interviews that you've done and um, – you know, I, I always wonder, you know, how would I answer that question? <laughs> and here I am. <laughs> and, uh, hmm. Um, 
I, I think one photographer who I very greatly admire right now is um, Hiroshi uh, Watanabe. He's um, he's a I think he's a Japanese photographer. I, I've mentioned him in podcasts before, but he he uh, his approach to his work is is I think profound. Uh, he he's all over the place in terms of the subject matter and how he approaches the subject matter. And he has several books out. Um, and, you know, he was also a, a critical mass book winner, um, mm-hmm. Photo Lucida. And so he had this great little monograph of work come out that just blew me away. But he also has, you know, work that he's done in mental institutions in South America and um, portraits that he's made of kabuki players, <laughs> you know, and, you know, just abstracts and portraits and environmental photos and i don't know i I don't know how he comes up with what he wants to do but i get a strong sense that um you know he he has such a strong sense of aesthetic that he just lets them come to him Mm. you know i think i i get the impression that um you know he pursues his photography in a way that you know is more open than I, I sometimes, you know, I sometimes wish I could be more, more open, more like him. But I, but I think a lot of his, a lot of the imagery that comes to him comes to him um, because of a certain sense of openness that he has towards the image uh, as it presents itself. And, and uh, I just, I just find him to be a great photographer. Oh, great. Well, this was a whole lot of fun. This great way to spend the morning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was great. Thanks again for joining me for another episode. If you have any comments or suggestions, please feel free to email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or post the message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. Till next time, this is Ivarian Exparello, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com photocastnetwork.com